You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. It's our time now to come to God's Word, hear from it, so I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15, and we'll be in verses 14 through 21 this morning. Perhaps the clock is a little later on when I'm starting, and you're going to feel, I don't, if you, Packers start at 12, who cares, they're, they're, record, they're not doing that well, so we're to be here and listen to God's Word. Um, I did see somewhere some meme that said, um, daylight saving time, that means we get another hour to preach this weekend, that's what that means, so we won't be here that long, but um, we do want to hear from what God has to say to us in His Word, so let's look there at it this morning. And on your way, I also got a picture from Malachi uh, from last week. I believe we've got his, his picture up here. That was pretty good. Malachi, I think, wherever he is. I don't know, oh, there, there in the back. There he is. So, yeah, we were visited by Mr. Bootser last week. So, that was good. Appreciate that. All right, God's Word. We're going to start Romans 15, verse 14, 21. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come to your word now that you would calm our hearts, you would focus our hearts and our minds. This is not a mindless exercise. Help us to use the minds you've given us or that the spirit within would guide us in all understanding of what you have said. And as we kind of pull things apart and look at this text in particular, that you would use the various sections of this text to convict and challenge our own lives as we walk with you, that our target, our goal, our aim would be Christ, and we would be anchored to you. And we pray this, you do this work by your grace through your spirit, for your glory. Amen. Well, we've kind of coming Near the end, if you, maybe even your page of the Bible has the end of Romans on it, 16, and we've come across various sections and looked at various parts of this entire book, and we're kind of beginning just this last kind of series and sections. Kind of some, there's some miscellaneous instructions here by Paul. Paul's going to call for the Romans for their help. Uh, there's going to be more than a few greetings. I think we'll get to those around Christmas time and call them Christmas greetings, although Paul doesn't call them that. And then some final words even as chapter 16 closes. But the overriding theme, if we looked at one of them, was in Paul's ministry throughout the book, 
He keeps coming back to preaching Christ Jesus and the salvation that Christ alone brings. And it's the Savior who he underpins, he tethers Paul's ministry. I've got a picture. I found a picture, and it'll be on the bulletin in the weeks ahead. Um, it's kind of an interesting picture. Uh, you know, again, are we tethered to a physical, not a physical cross, but the idea here is this boat. I don't know. I tried to look up where is this picture from, but I don't know. Somehow taking a boat out to this cross statue thing out in the ocean somewhere, but there's this tethering line, and you think of that on the boat. Maybe that's a picture of discipleship, but it's always tethered. That Paul's ministry is anchored, tethered, linked to Christ. And I think we are going to see that in our text again today. So we want to look at that tethered theme and how Paul's gospel ministry tethered and it affects his, his aim in his ministry. So head back, verse 14. Verse 14 starts, there's no admonishment. There's no uh, command. Paul simply points out gospel fruit here that he already sees in the Roman church. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. There is no doubt here. Paul is convinced. The ESV says he's satisfied. You could use the word he's persuaded of some very praiseworthy characteristics for this church at Rome. He lists three of them. Number one, they're full of goodness. There's gospel fruit of goodness. Galatians 5, you think of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. And ultimately, who is ultimately good but God Himself. Psalm 86, verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then it says, And His steadfast love endures forever. And so will not God's children reflect this good God full of goodness. In fact, one definition of goodness says it's a positive moral quality characterized by an interest in the welfare of others. And I think we even see that in God's goodness towards others. He loves His steadfast love. He forgives. He's gracious toward others. So goodness has kind of this other's mindset. Number one, they're filled with goodness. Two, they're filled with all knowledge. What does Paul mean by knowledge here? Does he mean they're pretty smart at math? They're pretty good at spelling? I think we say no. It's beyond that. I think he's aiming at they know God. They're full of the knowledge of God and God through Christ. Paul sees the knowledge of the Son of God, Ephesians 4, as kind of this ingredient for Christian maturity that you know the Son of God. Or Colossians 2, it's Paul's desire for the church that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So again, I don't think Paul's commending them on their academic knowledge here, but commending them that they're knowing God more fully in Christ. And so number three, they're able to instruct or admonish one another. The word here, to instruct or admonish, the word is nuthetane, and it's defined as the act of counseling someone about avoiding or stopping an improper course of conduct. Counseling someone. You, 
You hear it in a certain form of Christian counseling. We've been working through on devoted nights called nuthetic counseling. It's this idea of instructing and admonishing, not just because I think that ought to be, or this is kind of how I see it. It's through the Word of God, that the Word of God instructs our counsel. Paul commends here the Romans in that, that their ability, they're able to now instruct, admonish one another. Let's make it personal. What if Paul was to write our church here at Leroy, to the church in Leroy, to Bethany Bible Church, full of goodness, growing in the knowledge of Christ, able to instruct one another? I think in many ways, if we think rightly, we'd say yes, yes, and yes. God is at work. Sometimes in very small, very imperceptible ways, God is at work amongst us. He's doing these things. But it's also to say we can be challenged by these things that Paul sees in this church. Is this true in my life personally? As you look at this, am I growing in goodness, filled with knowledge? What kind of knowledge? Not just knowing, but knowing the Lord. Worship, loving Him. And then admonishing one another. So Paul's encouraged by what he hears of the people in Rome, and then he transitions from 14 to verse 15 to an explanation for his letter. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, I'll include 16 here, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. Kind of one of these longer sentences pull apart by Paul. Paul, what, what's going on? What are you talking about here? If you turn back, you can turn back very briefly just to the first chapter of Romans, chapter 1, and the first six verses. Because I think we get an idea here of what the reminder and what Paul is about, even in the first six verses. And we're, it's kind of fitting we're coming to the end of the letter, kind of bringing this up again. First six verses of Romans say this, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, the gospel of God, concerning his Son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God, in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So God's grace is at work in every believer, and it's led Paul to this particular letter. And it's a letter he's encouraging and he's reminding. Remember this powerful gospel, for in it, you think of Romans 1, 16 and 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, if you turn back, back to verse 16, it's this grace of God that's called Paul to minister to the Gentiles, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Interesting, I don't know if it's always safe to do this with every Greek word, but if you break the Greek word apart for minister here, you've got a combination of of ergon, which means to do things, to, to do deeds or action or work. 
And the other part of the word is laos, which, or laos, which is people. So you've got this work and you've got people. In other words, Paul's to be a minister is to be a worker among people. And isn't that what ministry is? Any kind of ministry, not just for pastors, but it's work among people. It's ministry. And then Paul breaks after that, kind of breaks into, and we get some Old Testament kind of temple, tabernacle language here, his, his priestly service. And then he's talking about an, uh, the Gentiles as an offering that's acceptable. And so we've got this, this language going on, and, and we're going, boy, didn't we hear about that in the Old Testament? Priests, offerings, acceptable, all these kind of ideas. I'm going to let Doug Moo here explain, because I think he does it helpfully, what is Paul about when he's talking about his priestly service, the offerings of the Gentiles, and this? Doug Moo says, Paul therefore pictures himself as a priest, using the gospel as the means by which he offers his Gentile converts as a sacrifice acceptable to God. The language of priest and sacrifice here is, of course, metaphorical. Paul makes no claim to be a priest or to be offering sacrifice in any literal sense. This is made altogether clear by his reference to the Gentiles themselves as, a sac- as the sacrifice. In keeping with the rest of the New Testament, Paul assumes, and here's some bigger language, an eschatological transformation of the Old Testament cultic ministry. Put it in terms, there's symbols of the old being realized in the New Testament. That idea that we're seeing, and Mu states this, and I think he just helpfully brings what was past to what is now the new covenant of Christ saying this. The animal sacrifices are replaced by, well, of course, you've got the, the, the picture of the blood of the lamb, the, 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 the blood, the, the lamb of God. But he says here, the animal sacrifices are replaced by obedient Christians and the praise they offer to God, offer God. The temple replaced by the community of believers and the priest by Christians or Christian ministers. He says, but one thing has not changed. To be pleasing to God, sacrifices must still be sanctified. And so Paul acknowledges it is ultimately God himself by his Holy Spirit who sanctifies Gentiles, turning them from unclean and sinful creatures to holy offerings fit for the service and praise of a holy God. Paul gives us here a vision for his ministry, his work among people. What is ministry but preparing people to offer themselves to God sacrificially in obedience and in praise and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit himself? What does that mean practically for us? It means as a pastor, my goal is not primarily your comfort, even though my think that we want to be comforted by the word comforted by god being with us there is comfort in that but the ultimate goal is not comfort but conformity to christ and that's not the easy work that's the admonishing the instructing a wayward one you're going this way come back to be an offering acceptable to god as a parent think of it this way your goal is not primarily friendship with your children We want to be friends, have good times, laugh, those sorts of things. Primarily, your goal is preparing your children to be living sacrifices to the glory of God. 
Sunday school teachers. Primarily, it's not a fun class. It's our goals are towards the aim of Christ. Leading a hospitality team, the aim of Christ. Offering, working in the nursery, their little ones, growing them up to be offerings acceptable to the Lord. So in all this, our aim, I think as Paul's aim here, is a gospel, to be gospel-transformed disciples, followers, all the way, talking about persecution today, all the way till death to follow Christ. And in this way, also empowered by the Spirit to do this. And so Paul offers, he offers present encouragement, offers a vision for his ministry, and that of, one, remember, remember the gospel, and he's preparing a people to follow Christ. In verses 17 and 18, we get to Paul's boast here. What's his boast? It says, in Christ Jesus then, Paul says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul has reason to be proud. At first, it seems like, Paul, you're, you're proud. Are you, are you being boastful in your ministry? We might eject. Isn't that something we're not to do? Self-boasting wrong? Yes. But look carefully. What is Paul's boast here? What is he proud of? He says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud. Tethered. He's never far away from Christ. Verse 18 makes it clear. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Did Paul labor tirelessly work for the gospel to proclaim it? Did he face suffering? Did he do 500 other things? Yes, he did these things. But he's saying it was not, it's not him, it's not Paul, it's Christ working through Paul as an instrument. And so God uses means, uses people, He uses circumstance. He mightily used what? What are we reading? This letter is written by who? Paul. And what was he? He was one of those persecutors that maybe we prayed for today. He too once persecuted the church of God. It's kind of fitting here on this day. Here now, a former persecutor is proclaiming Christ and worshiping him and encouraging others to do so. Well, the last part of verse 18 and into verse 19 describes the ways in which Christ has worked through Paul. So to bring the Gentiles to obedience, you see that the last part of 18, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. What about this Gentile obedience here? He says, I accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And may we think of obedience kind of not as a, a particularly favorite word. Obedience, that just sounds like rules and to do. Just remember where we've been. Romans 6, uh, other places we've come back to this time and again. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 says this. But thanks be to God, Paul would say, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's been the theme 
kind of in our studies even in Romans, this obedience of faith. That is, first of all, putting our faith, believing in Christ, and so set free to joyfully obey and offer everything to the Lord. It's not a, here's Christ, and that's great, and you know, he's not, Paul's not asking Gentiles, just pray a prayer and live the rest of your life. What is it about discipleship and the Lordship of Christ that drives us to worship and, and offer everything to live for Him? And so Paul tells us then how that ministry has been done. How has it been done? And number one, it's by word and deed. And that, that it could refer to the Gentiles' obedience, maybe at first glance, bring the Gentiles to obedience in word and in deed. But I think if you connect it to the other words in verse 19, it's more, this is how Paul has accomplished, how Christ has accomplished through Paul this work among the Gentiles, by Paul's words, by his deeds. Paul spoke, he taught, and he lived. And God used his words and deeds for the salvation of the Gentiles. And God worked in Paul, verse 19, through signs and wonders, which is really to say just the Spirit of God was powerfully working in Paul's life and his ministry as he traveled, taught, spoke, lived, performed these signs and wonders. Spirit was at work. One commentary here notes just kind of brings this to mind. There's this Trinitarian sense of Paul here. You've got God of grace at work, Christ is working through Paul, and it's by the power of the Spirit. Paul may not distinctively say, here's the Trinity at work, but you see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit at work in the life of Paul in his ministry here by means. And those means, how the Spirit has worked, take us to a map and to geography, and that is the second part of verse 19, where it says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to this is a hard one to pronounce. Ilirukum. Somewhere I've got it listed out so I can pronounce it better. Ilirikum. There we go. Ilirikum. That's better. Okay, I get there. He says, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. We do have a map here on the slides of where that is. Just a reason for a map. Here it is. You've got Jerusalem on the right side, eastern all the way west, Illyria up there. I think it's that region of Illyricum. That idea, all this map, this range of where Paul has traveled. It's really a large swath. And we might ask here, well, how has Paul, it says all the way around, he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Does this mean he's, he's proclaimed Christ to every, every place? Is that it? Or I don't think, has he been everywhere? Has he set foot in every town? No. So how's, it, how's his ministry Fulfilled. One commentator puts it this way, and it's helpful to us. He says, Paul could say that he had completed the preaching of the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum only because this statement would have met, meant for him that the message had been proclaimed and the church planted in each of the nations, north and west, across Asia, minor and the Greek peninsula, proclaimed widely enough and planted firmly enough to assure that the name of Christ would soon be heard throughout its borders. Paul can boast in Christ, of Christ's work, through Him in the power of the Holy Spirit that's reached and stretched from Jerusalem to Illyricum. 
And so we come to verses 20 and 21 and Paul's ambition then for this gospel ministry. Look at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. It's Paul's ambition. You might have the New American Standard says, I aspired, or King James, I strived to preach what? The gospel. The gospel of who? Of Jesus Christ. Paul's aim is the name of Christ. Paul's life tethered to Christ. Again, Paul's actions, his ministry, it's not some side hobby, kind of a sort of thing that kooky people do on the weekend. This is his ambition. And then we're uh, quickly taken back to geography again because he says, not where, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And again, foundation makes one writer, Mark Seafried, write about temple imagery here again as he says, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He says, Paul also conceives of the individual churches as instantiations. That's just a big word to say, I think, representatives. Individual churches as representatives of the temple of God. He thus will not build on the foundation that another has laid. And again, these aren't small like structural temples. It's people that are in them. Listen again, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. It's quite fascinating. You know, you've heard this verse before. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? It's interesting in the Greek, those words for you is y'all. So let me read it again. Do you all not know that you all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So there's this idea. Churches, these foundations, proclaiming miniature gatherings of, of temples as the Spirit dwells within us for the glory of God. To which then we come to verse 21. And as we've seen over and over, Paul again reaches back to the Old Testament to support what he is saying here, where he says, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Would you turn back? I just want to, we don't always go to these places, but Isaiah chapter 52, if you would turn back there, just one place we'll go. Isaiah chapter 52 where Paul is gleaning what he's saying, he's getting this from. In particular, it's verse 15. I want to start back in verse 13 through 15. Notice where we're at. If you're, Maybe it's on your same page. We are right up next to and going into Isaiah 53, that familiar passage again about the sufferings of Christ, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for iniquities, iniquities, that chapter. So this is right on the edge, right up to it. So verse 13 begins, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. This is, I think, this idea, this, this servant, Christ, fulfilling. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they under, 
stand. Paul brings Isaiah 52, he brings it forward and sees here his own commission, I think, to preach Christ, the suffering servant. To preach to those whom the good news, the gospel of Christ, to whom it's never been told, they've never heard of it. But the promise of God's Word is that they would see and understand. And this, of course, again, we say that's the power of the Spirit at work to bring these eyes to see and the ears to hear. To put it in modern terms, Paul's ambition is to preach the Gospel to the unreached people groups of the world. And today, there remains a large, large group Larger than I think we would guess of those who have never heard the gospel. There's a place called the Joshua Project that, that helps us think about this and who is unreached and where are they. And it, it says there's some uh, 17,400 around the world, 17,400 distinct people groups. If you were to say how many people groups are there, they say there's 17,400 groups total. Guess, you don't have to out loud. Guess how many of those are un, largely unreached? Their number is, so 17,400 total. Unreached, 7,400. To put this in numbers, they say this. Over 40% of the world's people groups have no indigenous community of believing Christians able to evangelize the rest of their people group. Individuals in these groups may have very limited, if any, access to the gospel. And I realize maybe 7,400 just doesn't sound like much. You know, oh, 17,000 groups and 7,400. It seems kind of like not, maybe not a lot until you look at what they say are the 50 largest groups. And in those 50 of the 7,400, the largest groups, they're comprised of 1.4 billion people. That's 50 of the 7,400 groups, the largest ones. Every group of the 50 largest is larger than 12 million in population. They say none have an indigenous church capable of taking the gospel to the entire group. It's important to note that this does not mean every individual within an unreached people group has never heard of Jesus or the message of salvation. There's often a small percentage, less than 2%, of Christ followers in these groups, but the vast majority of the group has minimal, if any, exposure to the person of Jesus Christ and the good news of God's free gift of salvation. Consider, for example, the 135 million unreached uh, sheikh of Bangladesh. 135 million. That's a people group, sheikh. The, the 59 million unreached Brahmin of India. These are just huge numbers, aren't they? 58 million unreached Yadav of India or the 37 million unreached Java Pesasar lore of, I don't, I'm not even pronouncing these names well, but they're of Indonesia, 37 million. Most of the individuals in these groups and thousands of other unreached people groups are completely ignorant of the King of Kings. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Four concluding thoughts from this section in Romans. Number one, perhaps, 
perhaps today God would call you to go to one of these unreached people groups. Right here from Leroy out to them. To be like Paul, to not build on another's foundation, but to go be a, a pioneer, as they call it, of the gospel by his spirit that empowers that. Maybe that's you. Number two, perhaps the call of today as we work backwards is to minister to others, to work for others no matter your location because it is Christ working through you that you may boast in what he does through weak vessels who just live out the gospel, speak of the gospel, and are empowered by his spirit. Or perhaps you today, you just need to be reminded Reminded of the gospel that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And to remember the glorious news that comes right after that statement of Paul in Romans 3 and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Have you today, have you been justified? Are you today redeemed? It's only by the blood of Jesus. And remember this. Maybe today, for the first time, respond to this in repentance and faith that you would be an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by His Spirit as you worship the risen Lord, Jesus. Lastly, perhaps, as we go back, thinking back to verse 14 where we started, you need both encouragement and admonishment. To be encouraged, yes, God is at work. Do you see Him at work? He is. Maybe sometimes you think, it doesn't look like it. He is. He's at work. He's changing hearts. He's maturing us, even as a body. He's maturing you. But then maybe the admonishment, personally, For you, keep growing, keep seeking, keep obeying that your faith in Christ might be a life of ministry to others as you make Jesus known in word and deed and the power of the Spirit. Maybe to your own neighborhood, to your own people group you're working with, or to one of the 7,400 unreached people groups around the world. Let's pray. Father, in a sometimes commercial world of Christianity where trinkets are made, t-shirts are worn, events just happen. We think Christianity is just about just doing certain things. And Lord, it's about Christ. And though we don't worship a statue like that boat, may we be tethered to Christ in all that we do. In any ministry we're about, For we only have that hope. Our hope is not in us as a people ourselves. It's in what you do through a people that are weak, often failing, often lacking energy, lacking 500 things. And you are so glorious to work by your Spirit in the lives of your people to minister Christ. Lord, may may we be willing to be that sort of offering to you. Not content to simply just head to church and then live in our own ways through the week. 
Lord, that we would, we would again to go back to our theme of where we've been in the past, to live sacrificial lives for your glory. I pray you'd help us in this. Make us see this. Make us rely on you. And may we preach Christ and boast in him only. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.